Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Our special guest, Lynn McTaggart, back with us. One of the central authorities on the new science of consciousness is an award-winning author of a number of books, including the worldwide bestsellers, The Field, The Intention Experiment, and The Power of Eight. She's also the co-founder of the international magazine, What Doctors Don't Tell You, The Health Expo Get Well, and also the architect of The Intention Experiments, which is a web-based global laboratory to test the power of intention to heal the world. She is consistent listed as one of the world's most spiritually influential people. Lynn, I can't think of a better time to have you back. Welcome back again. (laughs) Thanks, George. It's great to be back with you. My gosh. Last Friday, we did an intention experiment, prayer, with the audience to hopefully minimize this uh, coronavirus and also get America back to work again and stuff. How long does it generally take? If it works, do you see results? Well, I think what's really important, and this is what I've found with both the big intention experiments and my small power of eight groups, it's really important to be specific and to ask for, sometimes with something as big as this, to ask for it in stages. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing live intention experiments on, um, on my Facebook page. And I've been asking for, basically, I'm looking right now to flatten the curve. Because if we can flatten the curve of deaths and, um, and, and incidents of it, then people will know that it's peaked. You know, the authorities will know that it's peaked, and they will loosen up some of the lockdown. So we worked on it. Uh, we'd like to flatten it for at least 10% or more. So the universe seems to like specifics. When you say exactly when and exactly how much, it seems to respond better to that. Interesting. Is this something you might be able to lead us in tonight, another intention experiment to uh, bring? bring it? Let's do Why that not? tonight. We'll do it yeah, in our next hour. Great. And then, So what have you been doing lately beyond well, this mess we're in? My God. We're just, I mean, unbelievable. Um, what we've been doing is I've been doing weekly intention experiments on on live Facebook, as I said. But also, the other part of me is an investigative reporter, as you know. And we've been rooting out the misinformation that's being circulated about coronavirus and also the suppression of a number of natural cures uh, and natural treatments for for coronavirus that just aren't getting out to the public or are being poo-pooed. And as you know, you know, I'm a, a hard-nosed journalist, so I don't like um, conspiracy theories, mm-hmm, per right. se, that don't have any proof, and I don't like um, fanciful information. When I want to write about something, I want evidence and proof. I want to talk to real authorities. And I've been talking to plenty and also organizing a series of interviews where we are talking to top doctors who are trialing things around the world that people are not hearing about and getting amazing results. Interesting. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, for instance, I mean, people don't really realize, and I've been speaking to uh, a guy called Dr. Damian Downing, who is 
probably one of the top integrative specialists in the UK. I mean, he's the president of the British Society of of uh, nutritional and environmental medicine and uh, loads of uh, figures and things after his name. Now, he's worked with a team of what they call orthomolecular specialists who are uh, doctors who focus on nutritional treatments for mm-hmm. people. And they worked with uh, a, a, and trialed with a, a doctor in, uh, called Dr. Mao, who was chief of the emergency medicine department at a major hosp- hospital in Shanghai. And this guy was also part of the senior team of the Shanghai Public Health Center, where all Chinese COVID-19 patients were treated. And they trialed high-dose vitamin C on 50 patients with severe uh, coronavirus who were in critical care uh, situations, and they were using high doses intravenously for 7 to 10 days. Every single one improved. There was no mortality. Wow. Well, we had uh, a Ph.D. type on before you came on tonight, Lynn, and he is talking about vitamin A and D, and he really believes that helps with your immune system, too. Absolutely. I mean, the Dr. Downing and a number of other doctors have put together some preventive medicine, and they talk about vitamin D, vitamin A, magnesium, selenium, and zinc. As well, as well as vitamin C. I take that every day, all of them. Great. Well, that's your cocktail. That's that's your preventive cocktail. You know, once somebody gets it, you've got to really up the dose of C. I mean, and if you don't have it and you're just trying to prevent it, you need about three grams a day. If you have it, it you suddenly have to take, you know, heroic doses, as they call it. Right. So you're talking about, you know, 10 to 20 grams a day. And sometimes you're, if you first get it, something like 10 grams an hour. And you don't have to worry about it because, you know, if, if you hit tolerance level of it, you'll just get diarrhea, essentially, but it's not going to harm you. Isn't it amazing, though, that uh, with some of our foods, we can get some of this, but you really still need to supplement Well, that's the problem, George, because we used to be able to get this from our foods, but because of the situation with soils now, you know, foods aren't as nutritious as they used to be. When they've tested things like carrots, they only have a tiny amount of vitamin A compared to what they used to have 50, 70, 100 years ago. Same thing with oranges. Loads of oranges don't have any vitamin C in them anymore. So that's why we have to supplement. You know, we're, we just got to the point where our food just doesn't have what we need as much as we need it now. We're with Lynn McTaggart, who next hour will lead us in an intention experiment to hopefully downplay this coronavirus and get it to eradicate itself and get America back to work again. Have you ever in your lifetime gone through something like this before? No. Me either. Absolutely not. And I never thought we would. I, I think it's amazing that we have this extraordinary lockdown, uh, it feels like we're in a war. It it really does. It really does. And what happens when the previous guest says his theory is mandatory vaccines will happen for big pharma? What do you think of that? Well, uh, you know, I worry about that, too, 
because... Uh, I mean, whoever it, thought that they would force us to stay in and quarantine ourselves? Well, I mean, exactly. But I'm very worried about that because the last time we had uh, a, a big scare about a virus, the swine flu, back in, 19, in the 70s, they rushed out a vaccine. And the, first of all, the swine flu epidemic never happened. But secondly, loads and loads of people got a thing called Guillain-Barre paralysis. Yes, one of, one of my doctors got that. He got to his, his arms and legs were paralyzed. Absolutely. And so that's the worry about rushing out a vaccine and forcing people to take it. Um, I am worried about that, too. And I think that's why we are seeing a suppression of the information about the cheap cures that we've got for coronavirus, the cheap treatments like vitamin C, because you can't patent it. You know, vitamin C... They can't make money on it. Yeah, they can't make money on it. Exactly. They can't make money out of it. And so, but they certainly will with a vaccine. I mean, drug companies are, are, you know, are rubbing their hands together right now. They're probably thanking the person who came up with the coronavirus, whoever it was. (laughs) Absolutely. And that's another issue, too. I mean, there's certainly stories, circulation. There was a story in the Italian press about how the Chinese were uh, experimenting and just wanted to see if they took this bat virus and attached it onto a coronavirus. And and according to this story, the U.S. heard about it and was appalled. They had been doing some funding with them, and they, they pulled out. So I don't know. That's one story in the press. But it's, it seems to be, it certainly is a new virus, um, it, and it certainly is causing, a, you know, immune system storms with certain people. And I don't believe that this planet creates these new viruses naturally the way this one has. I can't believe, Lynn, that one person, the, as they call the zero patient, that they can't find that this one person in Wuhan, China, started this. And look at it now, it's worldwide. I just don't, I just can't believe that. No, I mean, I uh, certainly, you know, there, there isn't any solid evidence for, for China unleashing this to, you know, to cull the population. But I, it could have been an experiment that went wrong. And then it went, it started, you know, it started replicating in in humans. Um, It was something they were playing around in the laboratory and it got out. Now that's certainly plausible. That's that's plausible. It really is. Did you hear the story of the lab worker in Wuhan where they were experimenting on these viruses was selling the tainted animals to the markets and made a million dollars and they put them in jail? Well, I haven't heard that, but certainly that's another theory of how this happened is because of those wet markets and selling animals, you know, who who have the viruses and then it's somehow getting into the human chain. But yeah, I mean, the thing is, and I think this is the the thing that people don't understand, that we're being told this is a random killer, that anybody could get it and die from it. But that's not true. I mean, what it causes in some people is what scientists call a cytokine storm. It means your immune system freaks out, essentially, and mounts this huge autoimmune response to it. And the immune system is the thing that attacks the respiratory system. And 
there are ways to calm that, and that's the thing about some of these supplements. There are also certain people with underlying conditions, even if they're younger, they might have certain underlying conditions that are going to predispose them to heart disease or whatever in a few decades. So those are people who need to take particular care, but other people can, and everyone, including those people, can uh, take certain protective measures with some of these supplements we're talking about, and some other things, too. Lynn, when you talk about the intention experiments of large groups or groups of eight, tell me the difference here in how they would work. Okay. Um, really, it's, it's, it's only a, a difference in size of group. And interestingly enough, George, size doesn't matter. I mean, that's the thing that was so interesting to me. When I started doing the intention experiments, we did one big experiment on seeds, trying to make seeds grow faster. And I ran this six times with Dr. Gary Schwartz, the noted psychologist right. at good the University man. of Arizona. Good man. And good guy. And we, um, we ran it in, different, in, in front of different audiences. So I had... Audiences 700 when we were in Sydney, Australia. I had an audience of just 100 in, in Rhinebeck, New York, and, you know, with thousands of people over the Internet. So we had lots of different audiences of different sizes, and we always got the same result. The seeds sent intention by the audience grew faster than the three other controls that we used. Hmm. So we've seen the same thing with groups of eight. When and, and groups of eight I started, and I call them the power of eight, I started these power of eight groups just to see if we could scale down what we were doing with the intention experiment to small groups. And we found that these groups were creating, who were sending intention to a member of the group with a health challenge, were getting miraculous results. We were getting instant healing wow. in 10 minutes. And so, in a way, it was a lot like the intention experiment, but for an individual or for a situation. We've had, in, we've had Power of Eight groups try to get more rain in their area, and they've logged the rainfall before and after their intention, and there's been a big difference. What, what about some what, Power of Eight groups when, when there were some hurricanes in Florida? And, well, I, I remember that. What about the- had some had some you know amazing results where you know the the uh, we had this group in Tampa, Florida, and the hurricane missed Tampa and it was heading right for it. What about the power of one one individual who really has incredible intention abilities? Would that work? Well, I, people can intend for themselves, and there are super intenders, of course. You know, there are people who are gifted. It's a bit like playing the piano. Sure. Some people are a little more gifted than others. I think Jesus well, had that power. He certainly did, absolutely. Um, but interestingly, you know, he had his 12 disciples, and one thing that he talks about in the Bible is, um, is people and his group of apostles Praying is one. Praying, That's right. um, and they used it. He used a term that means passionately and with one voice. So, in a sense, the apostles were the power of twelve. And he said, "If you pray together like that, you will heal, and you will be healed." 
You ran an experiment called the Middle East Peace Initiative Intention Experiment uh, for Jerusalem. How did that work? Well, I was starting to experiment with different groups and what would happen if we put them together. And I had access to some amazing technology that was two-way live streaming. So we put cameras in nine different locations, uh, conference rooms in eight different, <coughs> excuse me, eight different Middle Eastern cities. And then the ninth one <coughs> was in an audience filled with Israeli Jews. So we had Arabs and Israelis on this. Plus, we ran it live over my YouTube channel, so we had thousands of people around the world also participating. But the technology was such that they could talk to me and I could talk to them at these individual places. So after it, we sent intention to lower violence in Jerusalem. And after it, I asked the various audiences, how was it for you? And they were all crying and saying to the Jews, were saying to the Arabs, we love you, sister. And the Arabs were saying, your God is my God. And these are people who have grown up to hate each other, to think that there are horns growing out of each other's heads. Uh, and yet they were sending love and compassion and caring to each other. So I realized as I had seen with earlier intention experiments that are peace experiments, that it's not just the target we're affecting, but the participants too. And that when we send intentions for peace, they become more peaceful too. Participants become more peaceful. And their lives become more peaceful. I survey people after these experiments, George, and I've found this with peace experiments, the ones we've done to lower violence. We've run seven of them. We did that so in Washington, D.C. with you, remember? We did, and yeah. we had a huge effect well, sure in did. just the area that we sent intention to. There was a lowering of violence, and what was really interesting is, once again, when we asked people who had signed up, who were part of it, what had happened to them, they talked about how they were getting along with an estranged family member or their boss, their whole relationship had changed, or a child who had been estranged for them suddenly contacted them, and so on. Their lives were becoming more peaceful. They were saying they were in love with everyone they came in contact with. So it got me understanding that there's a big mirror effect here that's even more important than what we're sending intention to. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.